And we thank you, Lord, and we pray for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation and manifestation on this morning. And for everything that you'll do, God will be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, everyone, to say amen. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. I'm a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We also welcome our internet uh, audience this morning. Praise God for them as well. And all that we're doing is by way of also recording. We thank God for uh, the ability to be able to stream. Amen. So thank the Lord for that. <clears throat> this morning will be somewhat of a conclusion of a series that we have been ministering on for the last couple of months, really. Um, and largely, we've been ministering on this particular area for the duration of this year. We have been talking about this area of what I've defined as the formula for Christian success. And so by way of review, in Luke chapter number 17, verse 20, the Bible speaks of, it says in verse 21, neither shall they say lo here or lo there for the kingdom of God is within you. This is Jesus speaking about the coming of the kingdom of God indicating that that it won't be a situation where you be able to say there's the kingdom over here's the kingdom over there's the kingdom. Why? Because he's saying that the kingdom of God shall be on the inside of you. People's ability to see the kingdom of God will be contingent upon your responsiveness dare I say to the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The kingdom of his dear son. So in the course of our teaching over this year, we have been looking at what is in fact the kingdom. What is the kingdom? What is it defined as the kingdom? You'll hear a lot of people say these days, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Various churches have called the, the moniker of saying the kingdom but what in fact is the kingdom just based on these two passages of scripture I believe we determine what the kingdom is it is the people of God or our relationship to the king but it is also a system of righteousness the means of the king's dominion within the earth it's the people of God, and this is the reason why Jesus said, you won't be able to see it over there. You won't be able to see it over here. It's within you. So it is the kingdom of God, it's the people of God, those that have been born again, translated from the kingdom of darkness, and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. But it's also a system of righteousness. The means by which the king's dominion, or the king's authority, is uh, established within the earth. And so we've also said that a kingdom always has varying, varying characteristics, that the characteristics of the kingdom produces customs. Customs result in our values, values produce our ethics. And when you place all of these areas together, ethics and value are to produce the kingdom culture. 
the kingdom culture because we are a people, but it's also a system of righteousness. So the culture of the kingdom is the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize the kingdom of God, we can say. It is the set of attitudes. It's the set of values. It is the goals and the practices that characterize what is defined as the kingdom holistically. And so we've said, again, that God has given us a formula for success. And we've indicated that the formula literally means the ingredients by which something is made. Well, a formula is an ingredient by which something is made. What we're referring to in this sense, the life of the believer. A formula is also defined as the method that produces or achieving something. And the methods or achieving something, or dare I say the system that God has in place within the kingdom is a system that is designed in which we are not supposed to be people of failure. It's supposed to be a failure-proof Christian living. And so as we have looked at those areas, let's look once again at 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture right here as we establish once again this foundation. 2 Peter chapter 1. Scripture says, verse number 5, out of the King James. And besides this, giving all diligence, he says, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, verse 6. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. Verse 7. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, he says, charity. Now notice verse number 8. This list that he gives us, he says some other things in verse number 8. He says, for if these things, notice he says, be in you and abound. In you and abound. If these items that I just mentioned are are on the inside of you and they are growing. Hold on just a second. Hey, praise the Lord. All right. He says, if these things be in you and they are growing, watch this. He says, they may that ye shall neither be barren no unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there I said before, if these things, these items that he just mentioned are not on the inside of you and they're not developing, then we can see the opposite means that yes, you will be barren and unfruitful in what you know. So we've looked at these areas and we're going to conclude these areas today because it is the goal of this church. It is our desire. And I believe what the Spirit of God had for us this year is that these areas be in you and they are growing so that we are not unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Watch this, verse number nine, it says, But he that lack of these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Verse 10 says, wherefore the rather, he says, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. So he says, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Ye shall never fall. If ye do these things, what things? We're going to look at them once again in just a moment. Verse 11, he says, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto 
into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice verse number 12. Wherefore I do, I will not neglect to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and are established in the present truth. And I always point at verse number 12 for all the folks that, well, I've heard that before. Peter says by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I don't mind, I don't, doesn't matter if you are establishing it, you need to hear this again. Doesn't matter if you know this list, you're prepared, you, 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 you check all the dots. He says, I will put you in remembrance of these things. Why is he saying this? Because he indicates if these things are in you and they're growing, they're going to make sure that you are not barren and unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you understand that, say amen. Now, so we've looked at these eight areas that are indicated in 2 Peter. He says the first area is to start with faith. When we're talking about the kingdom in formula, we're talking about the ingredients that are needed for a successful, productive Christian life. He says start with this area of faith. Well, we've indicated what this means. It's the basic faith that you have. I believe God. I believe his word. I believe his word is true. Start with basic faith. And then he says the next area that you need to add is this area of virtue, which is defined as goodness moral excellence or good character start with basic faith and then he says add virtue to it and we've indicated to you in the past and we'll say again this morning that the next thing that God says is add virtue but he says do so after you start with basic faith basic faith such as I know God loves me I know he's for me I know he's a good good father he says start with his basic faith and then when you get that established now we can move to starting this area of sanctification whereby virtue is required I want you to have behavioral changes and just like as we will with our children where we tell them you know they're growing up and they're growing and matriculating through life when they're babies we don't do a lot of explaining we say stop this Quit that. Put that down. Get that out of your mouth. Stop doing all these kind of things. We sell that because their children and their capacity to understand is limited. And so God treats us the same way. He says, I want you to stop that. Put that aside. Quit doing this stuff as you develop in your faith. But notice this. The next thing he says is add this area of knowledge. Add this area of knowledge. So it must be that God does not intend for us to continue in life and not know what we're doing or why we're doing it. It must be that as we walk through this journey of faith, he says, start with basic faith. I want you to do some behavioral changes. The next thing I want you to do is understand why I said what I said. It's the same way we understand in the natural. Like I said, I, I have two daughters. One is younger than the other. They're different areas of their life. And we understand that, listen, there's some things I can explain to Zoe limitedly. But there's a lot more I can explain to Raymond and say, look, this is why we do this. These are the reasons, this is the objective of why we are trying to cultivate you in certain areas. Why? Because her capacity to understand has grown the more she naturally grows within life. And so it should be in your spiritual life that you've been walking with God, moving from basic faith, changing things, and God begins to give you more revelation as to why it is you do what you do. So he says, start with faith, add virtue. And then he says, add knowledge. And then the next area, he says, all right, the knowledge that you have, he says, add temperance. What is temperance? Self-control. 
Now that you know why I said to do this, I want you to apply what you know, and now I won't have to start whooping you every single time. Now I can just say, all right, you do it. You start applying discipline in your life. You start applying self-control. You cut this out because you now understand that cutting these areas out of your life is good for you. So he says, start with faith, add virtue, know what you're doing, and then he says, add this area of self-control. And then he says, once you got this area of self-control, he says, I want you to add steadfastness. What is steadfastness? It is patience. I want you, as you grow in your walk with God, to know that when you are starting to apply areas of self-control, know that yes, it's really going to work out for you. God's methods really do actually end up in profit for you. So he says, I want you to apply areas of faithfulness. I want you to apply areas of consistency. I want you to apply areas of patience. So we've said essentially in the past, this is essentially how you grow. He says start with basic faith. And then he says add behavioral changes or cultivate fruit. Then he says, I want you to now that you're cultivating some fruit, add knowledge, which is the understanding why you do what you do. Then he says, the next area I want you to add is this area of temperance or self-control. And then the latter part, he says, I want you to stick to it. So, everything that we just talked about, don't you quit. Keep doing what you're doing. You say, well, I don't see any change. He says, stick to it. That's why the last one is patience. Because you are really going to see, as you institute these changes within your life, you're going to see the result. But he says, I want you to stick to what you've been doing. I want you to stick with your faith. I want you to stick with the behavioral changes. I want you to stick with your understanding. And I want you to continue in your self-control. And you're going to see manifestation. And the first manifestation that you're going to see is a change in you. Those are those first five areas. Now notice we've said these five areas are, dare I say, five areas of sanctification. They're five areas of personal growth and development. And then we instituted this next area last week of add godliness. And we define godliness as being a strong belief or as a piety towards God. It is holiness or it is service for God. It is devotion. So we notice something within these first five areas. That every one of those first five areas has to do with your development and your change. But this next area of godliness has to do with you now being deployed in the kingdom of God for a certain assignment. It has to do with you now as you walking in those areas, you are now becoming what is defined as a godly person. Somebody that has a piety towards God. Somebody that is considered to be holy or their life is in agreement with God. You are now becoming somebody, dare I say, that God can use. And that's really what godly, when you say they are a godly person, we are looking at somebody that God's using. When you think of your pastors, when you think of folks that you say, man, that's a godly woman. What are we really saying? That's somebody that God is using. First, we see the fruit of their righteousness. And then we also see that, that they're in the service of the king. That's what it means to be godly. But all of those things happen with the first five development. 
When you get the first five things developed in your life, God says, all right, now I can start getting you in the position where I can put you on the field. Because you are now starting to represent me and not represent your own agenda. Now notice this, the next area he says is to add brotherly affection. So he says, add godliness, now I won't put you on the field, but the next area he says is add brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. Another translation literally says warm friendliness. Turn with me if you will to John chapter number 13. He says brotherly affection. He doesn't just say any old kind of love, but it's a certain kind. The next area, when I'm going to put you on the field, notice this though, I'm not going to put you on the field in the world per se yet. I'm going to put you in the field amongst your brothers. And there's a certain way I want you to operate with your brothers. And he finds this within John chapter 13 and verse 34. Notice this. The scripture says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Now, every time I read that, I feel like I have to pause and say, he did not say this is a wonderful suggestion that I think you ought to abide by. This is a notion that I am coming up with that I think might be good for you. No, he doesn't say any of those things. He says a new commandment. This is a new edict. This is a new decree that I'm giving unto you. He says that you love one another. And then he says, all right, because I know how y'all are. You say, well, yes, amen, I hear you, Jesus, love one another, praise God. He says, no, as I have loved you, he's saying to the disciples, I know how y'all love each other. Sometimes y'all talk about each other. Sometimes you gossip about each other. Sometimes y'all stick, y'all hit each other in the back. He says, the definition of the love that I'm talking about is being defined by me and how I treat you and not how you treat other folks. I want you to understand, he says, brotherly affection, this new commandment that I'm giving you, I'm setting the template is me and how I treat you and not how you define love yourself. He says that ye love one another, not as I have, as I have loved you. He said that ye love one another. Verse 35. He says, watch this. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we see the mark of discipleship must be defined or contingent upon my love for the brethren. The mark of discipleship, he says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. He didn't say by gifts of the spirit. He didn't say by miraculous power. But he says, by this are all people going to know that you are my disciples. And he says, it's not through the gifts, it's going to be through the fruit of love. That when the people of God come to the house of God, that's one of the first things they ought to see is the love of God. When Christians are amongst each other, they ought to sense that there is love in the building because we are commanded to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. He says, once you've been deployed into the field as a godly person, the first thing that we got to add is to add this area of brotherly affection. Now, me being me, when I look at that, I'm like, if he's saying we should add brotherly affection, it must be because it's something that he gives us and it's not necessarily natural. You bringing all these people together from various backgrounds and you want us to love each other? Jesus says, yes. 
You're bringing folks from different economic backgrounds together and you want them to love each other? He says, yes. You're bringing people from different cultures, different races together, and you're saying that in the body of Christ we're supposed to love each other? He says, yes. Notice this out of the Amplified, verse 35, he says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, but he says the caveat, if you have love, and he says, I identify an unselfish concern for one another. You know, when I was growing up, uh, at my home church, I was going to say this before y'all got here. <laughs> when I was growing up at my home church, we may not have dealt with a lot of things strategically per se, but one thing I knew is that we knew how to love. In fact, our home church was called the church that love built. And even though I haven't been there in a long time, I still feel that love when we go there. There are folks that haven't been to the church in multiple years, but when one of the older saints dies, it's an amazing thing how folks will come over from different parts of the state that hadn't been to the church because that love was genuine. When is it that love became out of style or out of fashion? It should never be the case in the church. We love each other. We might not know a lot, of, but we know a lot of stuff per se. We're growing and developing one thing we know. We know how to love you. We know how to be there for you. He says the first area we need to do as godly people is add an area of brotherly affection. We understand, uh, watch this over here, 1 John chapter 3. Let's look at this really quick. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and let's look at verse number 18. Brotherly affection is something that is a command. It is not a suggestion. It is a command. If you are a disciple, you should have love or an unselfish concern for one another. It means I have to have an investment in people. It means, yes, it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me of my time. It's going to cost me of my efforts. It's going to cost me of my money if I'm going to have a genuine unselfish concern for other people. Now notice this over in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 18. Notice what he says here. He says, my children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let us not love in word. You know how church folk do. I love you, but don't, don't call me now. I love you, but don't, 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 don't really, you know, don't do too much now. You know, I'm saying that. He said, that's not how we are supposed to be operating in love. He says, not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Notice this how they amplify it. It says, little children, believers, dear ones, let us not love merely in theory, with words or with tongue, giving lip service to compassion. But notice he says, a lot of part, but in action and in truth, in practice and in sincerity because practical acts of love are more than words. Once again, Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Well, to love one another means it's going to cost me. Loving somebody when I'm inconvenienced. Loving somebody when, when I don't feel like it. Loving someone, my brother, and specifically right now, he ain't talking about the world, he's talking about in the body of Christ. Loving 
the people of God. Well, one of the ways that we love the people of God is we do so in prayer. How often do we actually pray for each other? How often do we really call each other out by name before the throne of God? Some people, when they when we hear prayer, they think, well, this long prayer, I got I to gotta pray 20 hours for you, brother, or I ain't praying. That's not necessarily what you got to do. How about five minutes? How about three minutes a day that you lift somebody up that's in the body of Christ before the throne of God? I love them in the spirit. That I'm concerned about them. Yes, we have concerns. Even for our children, how often do we take them before the throne of God? This is where our genuine love is in deeds and in truth. Notice this out of the Passion Translation because I love how this translation reads. It says, Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory we only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. Christians love the abstract. Yeah, brother, I love you. But we need to transform that thing from being abstract to there are strategic discipline areas that I can be seen doing for my brothers, sisters, and the Lord. That area of prayer. It's not something that I do one time. I do all the time. In the last couple of months, I've elevated in my office into the position of supervisor. And as I have been in this position now for a couple of months, one of the things that my prayer of my heart is, Lord, let them see you and not me. And one of the things I begin to understand about that particular prayer is when I say, God, let them see you and not me, that means that they need to see and sense love because God is love. How does that happen? Because we say that and it becomes abstract, but how it happens is when I decide to invest myself in the people when I don't feel like it. People show up at my office first thing in the morning, and anybody knows me knows I'm not really a morning person. I like all this talking. I'm like all this, I, I like to just kind of wake up and let myself generate up. But folk in my office, they like to come up and they like to have these long conversations first thing in the morning, and I had to learn something. Sometimes that's the investment of time that I have to put in them, just let them know that I love them. It's not just about the work. It's about what's going on with you. And sometimes it has nothing in the world to do with the actual job it has to do with what's going on in their life. The investment of time is a display of love. How much so in the body of Christ should be this be the case in your deeds and in your actions that I am investing myself into somebody else? Now watch this over again. First John chapter number four. Let's flip over since we're in First John. Let's look at chapter number four really quick. First John chapter number four. And let's look at verse number 19. Notice this. Scripture says, we love him because he first loved us. Verse 20 says, if a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. And, you know, there's been too many times in my life that I've been around folks and they say that how much they love God, how much they go to church, but yet they're holding out against a brother. They're holding out against somebody that they grew up with. They're holding a grudge against someone. And God says, watch this, how can you say that? And you, how can you say you love me and hate the person that you physically can see? He says, for he that loveth not his brother whom he had seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Notice this verse again. 
Verse 21, and this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Because love is a commandment. Now, he says to us, at godliness, at brotherly affection or love, and then it seems redundant, but then he says to add love again. So he says brotherly affection, yes, that's for the brethren in Christ. And he says once you get that area perfected, once you get that area working in your life, he says now I want you to extend love to other folks in your community, in your surroundings, folks that are not in the blood of Jesus. He says the latter area of this eight formula agreement is add love. Let's turn over again, once again, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. He says to add love. First love is this area of brotherly affection, of brotherly affection, brotherly love, love for the brother, love for your sisters in the body of Christ. And then he says, let me finish this out. Now that you get that going and you've added that, I want you to extend love to other people. Well, how does that look or what does that look like? He says, verse number four out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love endures, I'm reading out of the Amplified, with patience and sincerity. So he says, love endures with patience and sincerity. If I'm going to have love, particularly for people that are not born again, I'm going to have to be patient with them. I'm going to have to be sincere with them. Because these are two areas where Christians oftentimes mess up and they look bad. Because you're not patient with folk. Particularly this time of the year when you're trying to get your Christmas gift. You in the store and everything and there's a lot of folks here. And then they're working your nerves and all this stuff. He said, all right, this is an opportunity for you to be patient with people, which is an expression of your love. Come January, when, when Christmas is over and we've taken the trees down and we've done all those things, he says, I still want you to be patient and I want you to be sincere with folks. It's not supposed to change when the seasons change. He says, watch this, love is kind and thoughtful. Love is kind and thoughtful. When we are talking about love, we are definitely talking within the body of Christ that is kind and it, it is thoughtful, but it should be extended beyond the body of Christ to folks in our community and yes, in our neighborhood. Notice this, he says, it is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and does and is not proud or arrogant. Love does not brag. It's more concerned about giving and not receiving. So dare I say, I see this as love is more interested in giving attention than receiving attention for itself. Verse 5, it is not rude. Love, dare I say, is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. So you're telling me when I love people that I'm supposed to let stuff go? That's what I'm saying. That I'm not supposed to say, well, yeah, I forgave them, but you know, every time I see them, I got to bring up their record to see whether or not I'm going to extend love. Something wrong with that. When we think of love, when, when we look at this Greek word agape and it's unconditional, 
Now, yes, I understand that I may not have to deal with you because of what took place in my past that, yeah, we might not have the relationship that we once had. But one thing that God says is that we are still supposed to continually walk in love. And yes, for folks that we are saying that are not even in the body of Christ, the characteristic of the kingdom should be that of love. Notice this, he says, watch this. It is not rude, it's not self-seeking, it is not provoked nor easily or overly sensitive or easily angered. In other words, another translator said, love ain't touchy. Can't say stuff around you. Can't say it because I'm, I'm a touchy person. He said, it does not take into account wrong endure. Verse number six, it does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with or with the truth when right and true prevail. Love is interested in the true prevailing and not a personal agenda. Verse 7, love bears all things regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in each other, hopes in all things remaining, notice the term, steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. It says, verse 8, love never fails, it never fades, nor ends. And Peter says, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this last area of the formula for kingdom success is I want you to add love. Brotherly affection, then add love. Godliness, brotherly affection, add love, and then you have the kingdom formula for success. I want to close here with this practical application. Number one, watch this. Spiritual growth is always a choice. Spiritual growth is always, always a choice. Number two, God will never force you to grow. God ain't going to push you to grow. He ain't going to push you to read your Bible. That's going to be up to you. He ain't going to push you to pray. That's going to be up to you. Spiritual growth is something that you've decided to do. Because number three, watch this, you are as close to God as you want to be. Let's close here at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 8 out of the message translation. Notice the scripture. It says, exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. He says, work out in the gymnasium are useful, but discipline, but a disciplined life in God is more so making you fit both today and forever. You can count on this, and he says, take it to heart. Spiritual development is a choice or an act of the will that I'm really going to put in the time with God. I'm going to add these areas of virtue. I'm going to add these areas of faith. I'm going to add these areas of patience. I'm going to add these areas of endurance. I'm going to add these areas of godliness and brotherly affection. I'm going to add these areas of love into my life. And if you do these things, you will not be barren and you will not be unfruitful in what you know about God. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you for this opportunity to have gotten into your word on this morning. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we desire to grow. And so, Lord, we will do those things that are needed for our spiritual development. We'll do those things that are needed to be in the place where you are cultivating our fruit to be birthed on the inside of us. Lord, we choose as an act of our will to submit, therefore, to your purposes and to your agenda. Lord, areas where we don't want to, Lord, we decide, yes, we will. Lord, in areas where we feel like quitting, Lord, we decide that we will endure hardship. 
Lord, in areas where we, you're calling us to areas to be godly. Lord, we decide as an act of our will that we will be godly citizens of the kingdom. And so, God, we give you praise and we give you glory. As we declare that we won't be unfruitful or barren in the knowledge that you've given us, so we submit afresh this morning. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. If y'all have ever watched the broadcast, uh, our neighbors come on in and you never know when they're going to come and start. <laughs> uh, so it always throws me a little bit. Let's make this confession of our faith at the conclusion of this series. Say, in the name of Jesus, I walk by faith and not by sight. I walk in virtue, for I have more excellence and good character. I desire godly wisdom and knowledge, for I seek God first. I apply self-control over my desires, my passions, and my appetites. In the name of Jesus, I am a patient believer. I endure hardship as a good soldier in Jesus Christ. I am faithful and I will abound with the blessing. I am a godly believer on active duty, filled with love, which God has given and shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. I choose as an act of my will to love my brothers and my sisters in Christ. I declare my life is fruitful, productive in the kingdom of God. Failure proof. For Jesus, you always cause me to triumph. In Christ Jesus. Everyone said amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's giving time. Amen. It's giving time. As I've been doing for the last couple of weeks, I want to read through this list of these 10 checks as we conclude this year. These 10 checks. Number one, 10 checks that we should be asking ourselves as we conclude this year is, number one, what do I believe God called me to do this year? Number two, did I make an effort to pursue it? Number three, can I trust God more this year than last year? Once again, these are things that we need to be asking ourselves. Can I trust God more this year than I did last year? Number four, can God trust me? my choices and my decisions. Yeah, can I trust God, but can God trust me? Number five, where am I currently in my life? My vision my re versus the reality that I walk in, the goals versus the discipline that I actually am walking in. Number six, was I a good steward of the resources God placed within my hands? Number seven, how did I spend my most valuable resource this year, which was my time? Time is the one thing that we can't get back. How did I spend my time this year? One reason why I ask this is because I've been in the life scenarios and situations with people, and when they get to the end of their life, they don't ask about the money. 
when they get to the end of their life, they don't ask about, you know, the varying things that impact our lives daily, but they ask about the important stuff. They start examining, what did I do with the time that I had? Did I make good decisions? Number eight, what has God shown me about me this year? And if the answer is nothing, then have you been spending time with him? Number nine, am I willing to repent or was I willing or am I willing to repent or will I cover up my flaws through pride? Something God showed you something this year. Was I willing to repent when God said, okay, that's me. That's right. I see it. Or did I say, no, that ain't me. <laughs> I don't do that. Watch this. Number 10. Do my decisions show my values to be superficial or important? Again, as we close out the year, we need to live as, notice this, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 15. The scripture says, See then that ye live or ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What's that mean? We as believers should be people that are continuously examining, re-examining ourselves. If we do so, then we won't be judged by other folks because we are constantly reviewing what are we doing? What decisions am I making? What am I walking in love? If God says, I want you to be slow to speak here, and you say, well, I don't care what the Lord said. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Well, we see that you're not a good decision maker yet because your pride spoke louder than God's voice. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as wise or not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16 says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. In other words, you don't have forever to do what God assigned you to do. And you say, well, Reverend, what that got to do with giving? Well, where our giving is concerned, when God tells us to sow, that's what we need to sow. Because God knows what's on the other side of the seed that he's telling you to sow. When God says, I want you to invest your time here, he's telling you to invest it for a purpose. He knows all and everything that's connected to the decision that he's asking you to make. So when I decide to yield to what he's telling me to do instead of doing my own thing, I decide to receive what he has for me instead of receiving what my original intent or what I was going to do. It's always a choice. And it's something, once again, as people that live circumspectly, we should always be examining the decisions and the choices that we are making. And even where I tithe and our money and our offerings are concerned, that I give where, where God told me to give, that I sow the way he told me to sow. It's a question that we need to ask. Three ways that you can sow, technically four. One way is by way of our cash app, which is dollar sign one TTC. Second way is by way of our P.O. Box number, which is the training center, P.O. Box 2358. You go or get sold live and in the house. And then, of course, you can show by way of the trainingcenter-church.org. All of these ways are received by this ministry, and we thank you for whatever seed that the Spirit of God is telling you to sow into this ministry. We are currently believing God for our budget for this particular cycle, and we thank God that we believe that God always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. We make a daily confession that all the needs in the budget are made above and beyond the needs of this ministry in the name of Jesus. So we thank you for whatever seed that the Spirit of God has indeed prompted Jesus to serve. Congregation, let us set ourselves in agreement with those that are sowing and those that have sown online. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you are the one that gives seed to the sower. And so, Lord, as prompt to do it, cheerful givers, Lord, we sow our seeds before you. 
We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that you said, bring ye all the tithes and all the offering to the house, and you would open in correspondence the windows of heaven over our lives. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord, as we sow our seed, that we believe that the windows of heaven are opened up over our lives. You said that you would rebuke the devourer for our sake. So we also believe that the devourer is rebuked for our sake. We thank you, Lord, that you make all grace abound towards us, that we are abundantly supplied for every need that we have in our lives because we are these cheerful, prompt-to-do-it givers. So, Lord, we believe what you said, and we put you in remembrance of your word, and we thank you in advance for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, unless you need personal prayer or ministry, you may be dismissed. Merry, Merry Christmas. Uh, can, you, can you grab that? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hello, I'm Lady Aisha W. Thank you Smith. so much. Thank you for joining God us today. You. We are the Training Center Church located here in Gastonia, North Carolina at 1314 West 2nd Avenue, Suite B. If you're joining us and this is your first time, we'd like to take this time to say thank you. If you're new to our area or if you're looking for a church home, we currently have our services on Thursday evening at 6.45 and 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday morning worship at 10 a.m. We'd like to invite you and your family and even a friend to join us live here in person where we have worship every Sunday. Thank you for joining us. Give thanks and be blessed. I'm Lady Aisha W. Smith. On behalf of our pastor, Pastor A.C. Smith, we love you and thank you so very much.